Khalid, and this is the Unlearning Podcast, the show where we hear stories and interviews with myself and guests that reveal rules, beliefs, and behaviors that are actively or have in the past prevented us from moving closer to living our most authentic and liberated lives. At the Unlearning, there really is no topic too silly or too serious for us to examine together. So join us each episode as we pull up the hood on why it is we do what we do and the areas in our lives that could benefit from an unlearning. Welcome to the Unlearning Podcast. Today we have a special episode with one of my favorite people in the entire universe, Nadi the Illuminati. Salam. Woohoo! Ooh, that was a great intro. Today, guys, we're here to talk about something that's, I think, near and dear to both of our hearts. We're talking about the concept of being chosen and how it has been presented to women, and we might even touch on men. So, guys, you know, hang in there with us. And the reason it's near and dear to my heart is that because as I get older, I've become more and more aware of the mindfuckery involved in how women have been set up, (laughs) set up to spend so much energy trying to figure out how to be chosen rather than knowing how to choose themselves, trying so much to be the one getting the rose, and this is being said by somebody who has never watched an episode of The Bachelor, rather than feeling like a whole person themselves. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and just turn it over to Nadia and get her take on the concept of being chosen. It's a trap! (laughs) That's my (laughs) personal assessment. Um, No, I think that, well, first of all, as an only child and a self-professed independent, just an independent person, not even like a single ladies or, you know, independent woman, destiny, child way. I don't know why I just (laughs) moved my neck like that. But anyway, I just think that women in general, men also have just been bamboozled by capitalist society. America promotes as not just the gender roles, but kind of the romantic experience that people should select and I think it does revolve around choosing and or being chosen and so men get the role of being the chooser right a la the prince who has to select his fair maiden right you know kind of the Cinderella thing like oh I danced with this chick she left a slipper let's try everyone in the town so I can find her and choose her whereas the women like as evidenced by Cinderella and her sisters introducing competition and there's, there's women spooning and everywhere over this one man hoping to be chosen. Correct. But also doing their sisters dirty. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, oh yeah. Clambering some... over each other. Yes. You know? I think there's a scene where they're even Heismaning each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they try to get Cinderella out of the mix by saying, no, you got to stay till the end and clean the chimney and all this stuff. And, being the poor damsel who's cleaning right. and, you know. Because that's another part of it, the rags to riches. Like, even if you look at the Little Mermaid, you know, where she yeah, lost her voice her. and she was just, but she was incredibly, like, beautiful and she caught his eye and 
It's always about being demure. But silent. Right. It's always about being demure and like just so all these things. But the problem for me is the an age of inoculation. Disney movies. Starts like when you're Yeah. When you're very, very young, you've got Barbie and Ken. Ken is the pre-selected one. Barbie doesn't even get a choice. It just, I think, sets up really idealistic. No, it sets up expectations, you know, that doesn't necessarily mesh with reality. We're talking about Disney and that young age, and that really is very important because they say between the ages of zero and seven are when we really are downloading these patterns, whether it be from our family, how we see our family model relationships in front of us, um, but also what we're watching in the media, what we're seeing, um, what we're reading, and we basically are downloading how the world works, and then we later on for the rest of our lives play these patterns out. And so it seems worthwhile to talk about the impact that that type of depiction of what it means to be a woman, of what it means to have value, and it being told to be the story of you have to be chosen. And very little is talking about finding yourself, aligning with who you are, figuring out what you're passionate about, and everything is put to external validation, whether it be from the boy or the teacher or the team. We're all externally focused at a very young age and taught to be looking elsewhere outside of ourselves for our worth. Right. Acceptance, social belonging. So then it's almost like pouring on all of these socially accepted layers such that you are separated from your core, which is your true self, where people don't even know what that is. I mean, you see that a lot. People just following certain archetypes, not knowing who they are. And then years later, they wake up or they flip out because they realize they've gone so far from themselves or they're untethered and just like a wash in the sea, the never ending sea of expectations and criticisms and judgments of the open waters of society. And if you don't have any grounding or anchor to something where you know the other things can pass but you stay one place like you're just all over the place and it's not good mentally what happens what is the effect of a large number of people not knowing themselves not knowing who they are and what they really want outside of the messages that society tells them is what is for them The more disconnected we are as individuals from ourselves, the more we experience depression, the more we experience anxiety, the more we experience unexplained hard emotions, including rage, and start acting out in ways that are not aligned with our most fulfilled self. And so I remember this starting to manifest for me as a teenager. And not really understanding what it was because I was starting to have anxiety. And looking back now, I can see very clearly that I had put all my self-worth on external validation just as I had been taught to. And I didn't see then how much that is designed to help play into like a capitalistic society where we're constantly looking to buy the next thing that's going to make us worth something, that's going to make us more attractive to somebody else, it's going to make us have a status symbol to be accepted. 
the real reason why I'm, I want to talk about this today is that we can start looking at what it is that has caused us to disconnect with ourselves and therefore disconnect with our ability to be healthy individuals, then we can start to learn how to heal ourselves and play things out differently and hopefully teach the next generation another alternative. So I guess my question to you is, when would you say you first started feeling and seeing the effects of this sort of socialization take part in your life? It's somewhat dichotomous because I can remember being a little kid, you know, how I had a dollhouse, I had Barbie and Ken, just the normal matrimonial patterns, like you're playing with your dolls, they have the wedding, blah, 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 because that's what you see on TV. I know that I did take some of that in, and also I am the only child, and also just the product of two parents who remain married. You know, my parents yeah. have been married now for like 47 years, so I there's different areas where some of those traditional things come from. I would say for me, the traditional stuff that stuck most has to do with two people being married, staying together, because that's what I saw growing up um, in my household. But, you know, my parents have what I would term is a, a good marriage, a, a happy marriage. So I think some of the more lasting things that I've taken and have more to do with the partnership that I witnessed that just happened to be congruent with some of those other things. But being in single digits and, you know, what did I want to be a doctor and I was going to grow up and I'll be married when I was 26 and have two kids. <laughs> like that's the first and last time that I have a recollection of like, Oh, saying that, you know, that kind of thing. And so I, I just didn't have the, I, I had more of definitely like the good girl syndrome. I was never really taught like what to do. I think I kind of fell into the trap of being chosen because I was always told what not to do. Don't be fast. Don't be having boys over when we're not here or like, you know, conduct yourself a certain way. Don't show too much skin in high school. That's where I think society kind of got me because it's like you want it when you start to like people, you want them to like you back. And so that's where the philosophy or the gospel of being chosen as dictated by the mat and the magazines though for young um, girls like teen bop or like all those things and that's another place where it comes in so if they miss you in the kinder years oh then it's normalized the society like what do teenage girls do try on makeup and all of the know, magazines right are sleepovers. Geared how to be attractive to boys how to how to get so and so to like, like you. you? Take right. this quiz. Exactly. That's what you're given yeah. to consume. And so I think I fell into it more there, but also just the mind fuckery of seeing my parents' relationship and imprinting on that. But, you know, maybe it's certain acceptable in certain other households and different generations, but. When I was growing up, I mean, you didn't really ask a lot. So I, I saw a good relationship. And because, you know, it wasn't appropriate for me to ask, like, oh, what's the basis? Or how are you guys happy, etc. So I just thought that's what you do. If you're married to someone and you love them, you behave in this certain way. And that can easily 
kind of start to be your blueprint for how to be chosen or that's how it manifested for me. So I was behaving in a way that I kind of saw my parents acting towards one another without the knowledge of what are the criteria that you evaluate someone to decide that they deserve a certain kind of behavior. But that was just my, oh, if I have a boyfriend, I I, like my mom does. Correct. Exactly. With no system of evaluation of, are you deserving of me partnering you with you or like, you know, acting in a partnership way, not even necessarily subservient, but just because someone is your boyfriend does not necessarily mean that that is the person is deserving of you going to the ends of the earth. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. you got to check out reciprocity, etc. But if you don't have backstory or context or someone guiding you, there's a million ways to fall into the trap of those societal archetypes. A lot of roads lead back to having a root in being chosen. So yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying about in your household, you learned a lot about what not to do versus what to do as far as assessing if somebody is worth you giving them this treatment that your mom gave your dad. So again, we're modeling the behavior that we see in our family without really that backstory and understanding of how and why that is taking place. Correct. And so when I look back at my education, again, it was, you know, my family was a little bit different. My parents aren't married anymore. And we had a very mercurial environment where we were either watching my parents be extremely happy or it was like all hell's broken loose. They were very, very happy when they were happy, but when they were not, it was like, you know, war of roses type stuff going on. (laughs) And I mean, I love my parents. I love um, the commitment that they put into their marriage for, you know, the 20 plus years that they were together. Um, And they definitely tried their, their hardest and gave us a very loving environment um, as a family, their relationship, I think, was strained many times and being in a military family that puts a lot of pressure on those relationships. But for me, I saw a lot of the ups and downs. And so I was modeled this relationship that had a lot to do with trying to be chosen over and over again. Like from my mom's standpoint, she was in a situation where there was infidelity going on and infidelity would happen. And then all of a sudden, things would be horrible, but then my dad would come back. And so it was proving that he loved her, that she was worth it over and over again as, you know, they would reconcile. And that was something that happened a few times, you know, throughout my childhood growing up. And I think vice versa, seeing that my dad would show that he loved my mom and how he would make up from a fight. So my image was very much around like, if a man loves you, yeah, he might stray. Yeah, he might hurt you. But it's how they act when they are sorry afterwards that tell you you're worth something or you're loved. So I was modeled a very interesting, I'll say, type of behavior where I thought pain is just something that happens in relationships. Men are not faithful. And it really is just about how they come back to you afterwards, whether or not. And also put me in a competition with women, I think, because women were a threat at the end of the day. Men do cheat. And so that's already a given. 
And that wasn't just something my dad modeled. It was something that was modeled throughout my family. I don't know many relationships. Most relationships with men in my family involved infidelity of some sort. So it was just kind of a given. That really influenced this idea of needing to be chosen and a model of relationships that said over and over again, I had to fight to be chosen. And also, once a man does something wrong, I have to punish him. And if he will withstand that punishment, Mm -hmm. then it means he loves me and he should come groveling back. And it just, it signed me up for a lot of pain, (laughs) I will say, because... Because you're not choosing yourself. Yeah. And nowhere in there was how I felt. Nowhere in there was like a barometer that said what I felt or how I had needs really mattered. It was, again, all external being chosen in the beginning and then over and over again, um, which I think had a real impact on me. And it wasn't until much later in life that I started to realize this is not the only way. This is not a given. This is actually me being in a pattern of behavior that had been modeled throughout my family and probably in my ancestral line for a long time, you know, looking into ancestral trauma now and seeing that this is a pattern within my like family line made me realize, Oh, it's not until somebody breaks this pattern and takes on the onus of doing the healing that it's going to stop, not just for me, but for the rest of my family. And so I've embarked on that journey personally just in the last you know, few years in my last relationship that I was like, oh, this doesn't have to be how it is. Right. Well, it also seems like both sides of the coin are steeped in patriarchy anyway, because you were talking about the concept of being in competition with other women. And so there's that side of the coin. And then there's the side of the coin of being chosen. So one hand, like you're just all the women are out in the crowd waiting to be chosen. But then on the other side of the coin, you have all these women vying against one another to be chosen. And nowhere in the equation is choosing yourself or tuning into your intuition. What do you want? You know, do you even want to be married? What will make you happy? But everyone is so hell bent on stuffing themselves into the corset and like torturing yourself all to catch the eye of someone who may or may not be about shit. You know what I mean? And I'm very grateful that that narrative, just finding somebody to compliment you was the narrative that was espoused in my household. And perhaps because my mom is my dad's second wife. So maybe he had the benefit of the wisdom of being married once before no kids and that marriage didn't work out. And so my father even already had a very evolved concept of marriage. I don't know, maybe I was a teenager when I asked him why things didn't work out with his first wife. He said, well, you know, there were problems that I could see in the beginning, but I just thought, oh, if you give it time, it will go away, you know, or it can get better. And he said, what I really came to understand is that when you get married, it's like taking a snapshot of that person at that time. And you have to ask yourself, can I deal with this? If this is who this, this is all that they are for the rest of our days, you know what I mean? Who they were at that snapshot. He said, because Whether or not the person changes from that snapshot 
has nothing to do with you. It's totally up to them whether or not they change. So if you look at the snapshot and you're like, I'm good with this, do it. But he said, if you look at the snapshot and you're not good with it, don't tell yourself the lie that, oh, I can change this or I can change that. Know that things can change, but only if that other person chooses to. And that may or may not have, that may not have anything to do with you. Um, and so usually it doesn't have anything to do with you. Often it does not. And so I just had that kind of like going in. Um, and I think I actually told you about the snapshot thing. So, I mean, to have that as kind of a foundational thing. So even in the times that maybe I felt myself performing, I was always asking myself like, hmm. Well, I like this person, if this is who they are, like, riding on out. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about this, for me, what I'm remembering and hearing is, like, that's beautiful, one, that your dad had that conversation with you. How old were you when he told you that? I don't know. Old enough to understand it, I guess. So I think probably a teenager. As women, we're not really given that talk track about the choosing. It's more like, how old are you? Are you going to be alone? You know, yeah. your biological clock ticking. We get all these other talk tracks, but not really. Is this sustainable? Will you be happy? Are you okay with That's these things? The like, where thing. is the, like, are you, you going to be happy? But what we do have is people judging you if you're single. Yes. And people judging you if you're not single in a relationship where you're being treated poorly. It's like a right. lose-lose situation. Well, that and sometimes that happily happy or happily ever after is the result of being chosen yes I had a relationship a really long actually relationship that taught me a lot about myself and showed me that I had a lot of growing to do in that I was with somebody and even when we started out you know I considered myself a very confident person capable person I have you know, been blessed with having a great career. But when it comes to my love life, it's definitely been the area where I've stumbled the most. You know, I was divorced when I was very young in a pretty unique situation. But then after that, I entered the dating scene again in my mid to late 20s and ended up in a relationship where I started to see the gaps that I had in my closeness to myself and how little I knew myself and what I wanted. And I got in a relationship with someone where very shortly after we started dating, he told me he was going to go visit his grandfather. <laughs> and my intuition was like very, very strong, but I would constantly be like, let me just act like I don't hear the, my intuition saying like red flag, mayday, mayday. And so he told me he was going to go visit his grandfather and something in me let me know that he was not going to visit his grandfather out of town. And so I did a drive by to his apartment like an idiot. And of course his car's there. And when I go into the apartment, he's there with another woman. And so I, as I marched out and was like, you know, screw this. It only took a couple hours of him coming after me trying to explain and, letting me know that, you know, he really cared about me, that all of a sudden I was like back in the grip of the relationship with someone who had obviously lied to me, with who was not showing signs that he was going to be a trustworthy partner. And that was the beginning of a four-year relationship. And I ended up really regretting 
the lack of self-worth that I had in that moment, because looking back and I will say, I don't think any relationship is a relationship that wastes our time. I think we learn the lessons that we're supposed to learn in every relationship we have with men or women. But looking back, I just realized how little self-esteem I had because it was very easy for me to immediately be like, okay, he must care about me because he's coming back and he's groveling, which is what I was modeled. And then all of a sudden it was another chance and almost excitement around, well, now it's me or this other girl. And it started making me feel like, okay, he's already (laughs) showing that he cares about me. Will he choose me? And it stopped being about him and the lie. It became again about me proving to myself that I was worth something. Based on being chosen by someone else. Yeah, which set the stage for the rest of the relationship. It was full of lies and infidelity in different ways. And so looking back on that and leaving that relationship, when I left that relationship, it was very clear to me that I had a lot of work on myself to do. And deciding very clearly that I didn't want to keep playing out this pattern because it took that relationship and the over and over again of me really being in competition with myself and other women and not even thinking about what this prize was. Was this person right for me? Was this relationship nourishing for me? And I mean, you knew me when I was in this relationship. So it's sometimes shameful to like look back and say, you know, it took all of that for me to wake up. But if it wasn't for that, I I wouldn't have. It takes what it takes and everybody has their thing. I was just thinking that another way in which being chosen or the concept of being chosen manifests in kind of like a toxic cycle is um no wait did I forget oh my god did I just have a senior moment (laughs) I'm senior adjacent I guess (laughs) um oh in like the side piece thing the side piece manifesto how many women out there are side pieces or mistresses who knowingly are with people who are committed elsewhere, but somewhere underlying, there's this desire to be chosen by this person that you've invested time and feelings in, even though you know that they are bound legally or otherwise to someone else. Again, because of that, I think indoctrination with the Disney Prince Charming archetype, and you hear about it every once in a while, the one half a percent to one percent of things where the husband was cheating and then he actually makes an honest woman out of the mistress and leaves his family and then the woman who is chosen then often becomes like one of the most paranoid people on earth because according to the old adage how you start is how you finish so if you start as the mistress Mm. does that mean that you finish (laughs) being mistress having to experience it on the other foot but again Having been in those situations, I have never been a mistress to a married man, but definitely I'm in my 40s. I would be lying if I said I never had a dealing with somebody who was um, in, a in a relationship. I can acknowledge that part of that is the competition that you said, or it is driven by wanting to be chosen because being selected by someone that you know has someone else assigns a certain value to you coming from the external validation rather than valuing yourself. And I think younger women need the most support mentorship and just an alternative way to go because I see very easily having grown up in the little Kim Foxy Brown era 
where at that time we thought it was the reclaiming of female power. You know what I mean? Like there's so much fucking societal bullshit. There's so much control and they will feed it to you and tell you that you love it. And it's really their narrative that they just, it's just patriarchy in another form and and misogyny, but you know, flipped and bounced to, mind fuck women and just make them where we're know, playing it out ourselves right, where we feeling like empowered because we're just playing the same patterns out that men have been played and that men are bound by and i think that it's been very damaging this is where i say like you know men maybe it's not necessarily the same level of please choose me but there is definitely like this toxic masculinity that yes. they are supposed to fit into in order to be worthy of going out and doing the choosing of the the grand gestures and the money that they're supposed to have and or that you choose a wife and you choose a mistress yes you're and having those different women for different things or only feeling good about themselves if they have a woman and then getting in a relationship with a woman and feeling that void still within a relationship and then thinking, Oh, it's because I need to go find another woman who will fill this void. And then they end up in that circular pattern where again, the void that they're feeling is the same void that we're feeling. It's the misalignment and the disconnection with self. And we are looking to each other to fill it. And really that's just playing into this patriarchy and misogynistic way that keeps us In a destructive pattern. Because these things separate you from yourself. And there's no, you can expect no good outcome anytime you're going against yourself. And going against yourself is the things that you would normally do to protect yourself. You're putting that aside in favor of something else. It doesn't even matter what it is, but usually something external. And so, again, as an only child and just how I was brought up in my nuclear family, choosing self was almost a norm. It was a norm, you know. Um, Which is so unique because yes, definitely. I will say, like, that choosing self is something that I didn't even understand was a thing until I got into my 30s. My growing up was very much like, this is the box you should fit into. This is what it means to be a girl. This is what society will judge you for. You should be concerned about that. What people think very much matters. And I was kind of a wild child. I was not your typical girly girl. I was a tomboy. And I was very loud and wild. I was the kid who was like climbing trees and falling out of trees and saying things that came to my head and embarrassing people. And I mean, even as a little kid, I remember my mom would say like, don't say anything to embarrass us. Cause I was the kid who would be like, why is your nose so big? <laughs> you know, out of, out of real curiosity, not trying to be rude. At the end of the day, what I remember growing up is very much, this is who you should be and constantly failing, constantly oh. failing at that. And then starting to just doubt myself and feel like, I just needed to try harder and I would go through phases of trying really hard to be good to fit in and then I would fail and then I would get really angry and just rebel. But after that, I'd go back into my like, okay, I'm going to try again. Oh, two ships passing in the night. I had almost the reverse experience. It's funny because there was a time when maybe around fifth or sixth grade, like as you're getting ready to go to like middle school, junior high, 
where popularity is suddenly a thing. And then I definitely remember some kind of acutely special times in sixth grade. That was kind of a time where I wanted to conform because I just wanted to fit in. Yeah. You know, um, so that was a time where I wanted my name like to be Jennifer or whatever. <laughs> and I know, I don't know. But um, I tr- those were the times where I tried conforming. I was like, oh, my God, this is like terribly whack. So fuck this shit. <laughs> you know, I, I would try. And it, it was a series of tryings and not even rebelling, but just like. I can't I do it. Yeah, I just got to let myself out. Like, I can't. This box is too tight. Yeah. Or trying that stuff. And attaining the brass ring and being like, this is stupid. This ring is not worth what I thought it was. No. Yeah, I gave up by the time I was in high school. At that point, one, I moved schools like every year to three years because we just kept moving because we were military. And at first it became like, oh, I failed here. Don't worry, we'll move again. And you can just try on a new hat of this is who I am. But it was always in the attempt to fit in by middle of high school I was like fuck it at that point I was reading in the bathroom during lunch it was a hopeless cause is how I felt and at the end of the day like I was just trying to get through high school and then moving into looking why I got married so young I think it was just because I never thought about whether or not I wanted to be married I never really thought about whether or not I wanted to have kids how old were you when you got married I was 22 I was engaged at 20 and got married at 22 and um, ended up getting pregnant a year after I got engaged. We hadn't gotten married yet. And I did did feel like a sense of dread around getting married. I did love my fiance at that time and then later on husband and now ex-husband. I did love him very much, but I just hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about what I really wanted. And there was just something deep within me that felt really misaligned and scared. Didn't know who to talk to about it. I kept getting told by everybody, oh, that's just cold feet. And I was like, well, these feet are really fucking cold. (laughs) And I don't think this is normal. And especially because I was pregnant, there was no box or model of loving somebody, being pregnant, and still choosing not to get married. So it felt like I was on a train that had already left the station and no one ever was like, you need to go sit with yourself and see how you really feel about this. You need to seek your inner wisdom. I don't think anybody was talking about my inner wisdom. It was very much told to me that I had no inner wisdom because I was so young and I knew nothing. (laughs) As I was talking about, you know, getting married and not having anybody tell me that I needed to go sit with myself and Mm -hmm. kind of sit to find what my inner voice was saying. That to me is an alternative for us. If we're looking for a place to start out, talking to women, young and even our age, who are still trying to get out of this pattern of behavior, about their inner wisdom, about the power of sitting with yourself and getting in touch with your intuition. And luckily right now, I think social consciousness is really moving towards this new awareness of our inner selves and this inner world of how thoughts, feelings, and emotions are really built in to be signals from our bodies on what we need. And so the concept of the young don't know what they need or what they don't need, I think that really does have to be put aside and we have to start talking to our children 
at a very early age about how the wisdom of what they need is within them and how really the true source of the map for their life they can find within themselves instead of telling them they don't know anything. Trusting yourself is a practice. Trusting yourself is something that you learn and you build on through experience and through the success of following your intuition and it leading you to good places. So if all of a sudden you're in your mid-20s and you've never followed your own intuition, it's really hard to all of a sudden have that skill. So wisdom from the gram just popped up in my feed from our favorite guy, Young Pueblo. <clears throat> they asked her, what qualities should your partner have? She answered, above all, the willingness to grow and enough self-awareness so they can truly love you well. If they are emotionally prepared for a real connection and ready for the deep healing that will bring you closer together over time, it will be easier to build a nourishing and vibrant home. Mature love is a commitment to supporting each other's happiness. And so how that ties in is this archetype that's just pumped through so many channels is an example of an immature love. Like it's all based on everything's romanticized and based on either kismet and just this idealism that creates these great expectations. And then people maybe feel the letdown or lack of fulfillment from the expectation, but they have no outlet for it. And so they just kind of stuff it down inside and it just comes, becomes part of a general stew of unhappiness that consumes people at whatever pace over how many years. And I, so, yeah, I think that that also speaks to why we have such a high rate of divorce. We're taught in the movies, in so many different outlets that the story ends at marriage, happily ever after. And very little is put into teaching the young about like, happily ever after is a myth. It's more like hard work. <clears throat> it's more like constant commitment to self-growth. It's more becoming the one first yourself before you go out and look for the one, becoming that partner to yourself so then you can be in partnership with someone else. And just having more education. People who are emerging have a really good idea right now around this new proposal of what it looks like to be whole. Even in conversation with people, I'm hearing a lot more from friends and from friends of friends around realizing their need to do shadow work, do, you know, inner child work. And so hopefully we're moving in that direction. I think so, because it seems to be like the great age of unhappiness. People medicated in record numbers and still kind of feeling the malaise. And there is a growing contingency of people who are counter or more of the revolutionary thing where they want to try and heal themselves or you've, you know, tried the rest. <laughs> and so instead of burying underneath Wellbutrin or blah, 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 let me try and detoxify and kind of clarify. Or I think people have amazing breakthroughs just distancing themselves from the white noise that is society and or social media, like just the different detoxes, because it's not really until you disconnect and unplug from that, that you can really appreciate the enormity of the deluge of 
things that come at us and marketing and, you know, all these different constructs, like are your thoughts and opinions really your thoughts and opinions? Or are you parroting it? Yeah. How much of that is just indoctrination through incessant marketing campaigns and, you know, media. So, yeah, no, I think that there's like plenty for us and we could go on forever, but at the end of the day, bringing it into a full circle, just choose yourself. Yeah. Choose yourself. And as we move forward, just talking more to each other as women and men about the importance of getting to know yourself before seeking that other person to complete you. It's a myth. Nobody's going to complete you except for yourself. And if we can speak into the youth and into each other now, while we might be grownups, there's so many of us out here who are still in arrested development because our inner children have not matured. And I will say from a space of vulnerability, it's only been in the last five, six years that I really have started to feel myself come into knowing myself. The peace that has come with that is amazing. As I become more aligned with my true self, the anxiety that I used to need help quelling from medicine or just from different sort of addictions, whether it was shopping addictions or addictions to being on my phone or just addictions to seeking external validation are now handleable by me just sitting with myself, allowing myself to have space to listen to what my real needs are and having the ability to know what self-care looks like for me to be able to engage in that and find inner peace instead of looking externally, which is so important. And it's such a gift to come upon. So paying that forward and having more conversations around that, I think is a great start in breaking this pattern of behavior and modeling for not just the youth, but for all of us grownups who are still working on healing our inner children. I hope so. Otherwise, this shit's hurtling to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, things things can look really dark, and I just have to keep on calling in the light and hoping that we can continue to move in these baby steps towards, like, a better future. Yeah. So, guys, we, Nadia and I tend to have what we call the download, where we literally will just kind of shoot the shit, talk about our day, and end up in these philosophical conversations. So, this will not be the first. Nope, it is the first. This will not be, I'm really bad with saying, so this will not be the last time that we have her on. But I hope you guys enjoyed and could relate with some of this, and we're excited to hear your own experiences and reflections on how these ideas and patterns have played out in your life and any ideas you guys might have around alternatives for us to move forward in a different way in the future. So with that said, thank you so much for tuning in and giving us some of your time. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you know when a new episode airs. Also, feel free to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. 
For show feedback and requests, reach out to us at speakupatthe-unlearning.com. You can also follow us at the.unlearning.podcast on Instagram or check out the show blog at the-unlearning.com. Thank you.